Revelation chapter 13, and it's only 641, and some of you are thinking, oh, sweet, we're going to get out at a good time. Who knows? I was thinking about trying to break this up into two weeks, but since we're getting started so quick on it, I could do this probably all tonight. So, And you're getting all your sugar, so you'll be awake for it. It's not you're going to fall asleep with all that sugar. The crash comes later. That might be the way we design it, give you the little high right now to get through the service, and then you'll come crashing down ready to go to bed. Chapter number 13. We're going to look tonight at the incarnation of Christ is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at several things. But Revelation chapter 13, hold your place there. We'll be in the scriptures in just a couple of minutes. Michael, front row. I like it. That, that just seems weird, you sitting there on the front row. I like it, though. And so you don't fall asleep. I, I've seen you, but I don't think it matters if you're on the front row or the back row. You're still going to do your thing. That's why we don't have you stay up on the platform during the mess, because everybody could see you sleeping. They think what's happening is you're just agreeing with the sermon <laughs> and just not nodding that head off and all of that. When we look at, and we've been studying doctrine for a while now, and it's been a while, and we're going to study doctrine and words a lot longer than what we have. But during the 20th century, there's been, really, I believe, an attack on the virgin birth of Christ. And the thing is, many people and a lot of Christians nowadays look at the virgin birth of Christ, and they view it as a non-essential doctrine, which is flabbergasting to me that someone would think that. If Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin, then he is only man and he is not God. If Joseph is his father, that means that the sin line was passed to Jesus and he is not God. And that's why the virgin birth is so important. You see, if Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, he couldn't be our savior. If he wasn't born of a virgin, then the book of Isaiah and other passages in the Bible would all be lies. Because the Bible makes it clear some things. We'll study this out tonight and look at other things. But I would say that an important doctrine is the doctrine of the virgin birth of Christ. Now there are things that people, will, we've talked about, and I had someone a couple weeks ago, they're big on a post-trib or a mid-tribulational rapture, not a pre-trib. And so they keep trying to convince me of those things, and they keep going on about it. I, that's okay. If you're here and you're like, I don't, know, I don't believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, first off, you just don't know your stuff, and you need to spend a little time with me, and you could get it right, and, you know, that's okay. But at the end of the day, it's not going to change your salvation one bit. So if you want to say you're a mid-tribber or a, you know, a post-tribber, go ahead. And if you don't even know what I'm talking about, thank God you don't know what I'm talking about. That's even better for you. I am a pre-tribber, and, so, and that's what I believe in. And I told them before, and I tell people often, if we're here in the middle of the tribulation or the end and we're still here, I will come up to you and tell you that you were right and I was wrong. When we get to heaven at the pre-tribulational rapture, when we get there, you don't have to find me and not worry about it. It'll all be okay. I'm not going to be worried about it. I'll be in heaven with Jesus, and you don't need to tell me that I was right because I see it in the Bible there already. So something like that is not going to make or break something. Like people have lots of different ideas throughout the Bible. Some people go overboard on, you know, the meaning of the, in Daniel, the different toes, and do they mean this or that? And people really do, and that's okay. 
when you start messing with our salvation and you start messing with Jesus, those are essentials. The virgin birth of Christ is an essential. So it's one of those things, and I have many people, well, let's just agree to disagree, not on this one. There are others, there are things that I will agree to disagree with you on, but when it comes to Jesus and him being sinless, no. And the more you look at it, the more Satan can get people to doubt that Jesus is who he claims to be, the more Satan's doing the work he wants to do. And so as we look at this tonight, I want to start out tonight in Revelation chapter number 13. And look down at verse number 8. It says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. As we dive in tonight, I want you to understand something. That the incarnation and Christ coming to earth, all these things, they were predetermined before the world ever began. Before God created the earth out of nothing, God already predetermined the fact that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, would be slain for the sins of the world. Before Adam and Eve were ever created, God predetermined that Jesus Christ would die for the sins of the world. Before he ever made anything, it was predetermined that Jesus Christ would be the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. With that in mind, and I want to give you several thoughts, and number one as we dive in tonight, Roman numeral number one, reasons for the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And when we talk about the incarnation, that is him coming and dwelling here on earth, tabernacling for the years that he did. And you should already know this, but in case you don't, Jesus was not born in Bethlehem. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, he came down to earth in Bethlehem. But Jesus Christ always has been and always will be. He was there in the beginning. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He didn't, he wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't just born in Bethlehem. He always has been. He has no beginning date. He has no expiration date. So why, so let me give you some reasons tonight on why Jesus Christ came to earth. Letter A, we see to confirm the promises of God. One of the reasons that Jesus came to earth was to confirm the promises of God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 15 and verse number 8, it says, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. And there are many promises that were made. We go back and later on tonight, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter number three, the first time we see a promise of someone coming, the seed of a woman. And we'll talk about that later on tonight. The Bible talks about in Isaiah chapter nine and verse six and seven, the fact that for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. There were promises made in the Bible. And Jesus came to confirm the promises of God. Letter B, Jesus came to save sinners. The Bible makes that clear. Jesus came to save sinners. The Bible tells us in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's half the problem with a lot of people. They don't realize they're lost. If you don't realize you got a problem, how can, you know, it's where it all begins. 
But Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 1, verse number 15, that Paul is speaking to Timothy here. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all expectation, acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why Jesus came. And he says, of whom I am chief. Jesus came to, to confirm the promises of God. He came to save sinners. Let us see. He came to reveal God the Father. The Bible tells us in John chapter number 1, in verse 18, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. The Bible tells us in John 14, remember, and, Philip, and Jesus answered and said, Have I been so long with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou, then show us the Father? Do you see what Jesus is saying to Philip here? Because Philip's like, hey, show us the Father, and we'll be, we'll be happy with that. It sufficeth us if you show us the Father. And Jesus is like, how long have I been with you? Don't you realize the fact that if you've seen me, if you've seen the Son of God, if you've seen Jesus, not quite like Joyce has, but we're talking about really seeing Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So why do you want to ask us to show you the Father? You're seeing him in Jesus Christ. He's revealed through Jesus Christ. And the only way we can get to the Father is through Jesus Christ. Reasons for the incarnation of Christ, letter D, we see to become a faithful high priest. And Jesus becomes our high priest. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 17, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So why, think about this, why was Jesus Christ, why did he come to earth? Well, he came to confirm God's promises. He came to save sinners. He came to show us the Father. He came to become our faithful high priest. Letter E, he came to put sin away. He came to take care of sin, to make an end of sin. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 5, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Why did he come in the flesh? take away our sins. Do you see that right there? And in him is no sin. And so we see the fact that Jesus came and reasons for his incarnation, here we see again, to take sin away. Next, we see letter F, why Jesus come to destroy the works of Satan. He came to destroy the work of Satan. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 2, verse number 14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him the, that hath the power of death, that is the devil. So as we look here, why did Jesus come? He came to destroy the work of Satan. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, there's another reason why Jesus came. Now, we look at these things, and you're like, well, it's very clear here in the Bible, but let me ask you, before 
before we've gone through some of these things, if I asked you, why did Jesus come? For sin, there's a lot to it. The Bible's clear on these things. He came to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. He came to save sinners. He came to be our high priest. He came to destroy the work of Satan. He came to put away sin. There's a reason why he had to come. There's a reason why God in the flesh had to come. We think about this. Do you realize man sinned before God? And man could never pay the price because all men have sinned. The thing is, God couldn't die for man because God didn't sin. Man had to die for man's sin. So the only way possible it could work was for God to put on flesh and to become a man. And that's what Jesus Christ did. And we see the things that he did to destroy the work of Satan. And then he also, and I didn't, I, one other thought is he also gave us an example on how to live our life. And we're supposed to follow his steps, right? That's another reason why he came. He came to show us how to live the Christian life. We're called Christians, right? Well, we should be called Christians because we act like Christ. That's where the name comes from. So as we look here tonight, we see the purpose for the incarnation, why Christ came. Number two, Roman numeral number two. I want you to see the virgin birth of Jesus Christ according to the Scripture. There are five key verses in the Bible that teach about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And we are going to go, first of all, we're going to look at, and you see there in your notes, you see Genesis chapter 3, verse number um, 15. Don't put that verse up. And I will put, so remember, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and Adam and Eve clothed themselves with fig leaves, and God comes, and man tried to cover their sin, and there was a punishment for what had taken place. And upon the man, upon the woman, and upon the serpent. And part of the serpent's pun, it says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and, look at this, her seed. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, when you go through the Bible, if you were to go to Genesis chapter, Number five, you'll see there are a lot of names that go through there. And then you'll go to Chronicles. You'll go lots of places. There are lots of names that are mentioned. You don't really see this lady having this child and this lady. You see this guy begat this guy, which begat this guy, which begat this guy. Through, and you say, well, the Bible's it's sexist. It is not. I've heard people, people have claimed that and different things, and we'll just leave that alone. I'm not going to go down that road tonight. But that's not how it is. But this is interesting. Right at the very beginning, it talks about the fact that there's going to be enmity between the serpent and between the woman and between his seed and her seed. It doesn't talk about the man at all, does it? And it talks about the fact that this what comes from her seed is going to strike the serpent's head and kill him. But it also talks about how he's going to bruise the heel of her seed and the cross. 
There's a big fancy word for Bible scholars and those in college. And so as we think about this first one here, it's called the, and I, I have a hard time every time I say it, Prodevangelum. And how the T becomes a D, I don't know, but that's how it's pronounced. So you can just write that down there. This is the first time in the Bible that we see it mentioned, the fact that her seed was going to bruise the serpent's head. And when, and when we see this, and, pro, and uh, the, the pro-devangelum basically means the first announcement. Say, why couldn't they say first announcement? Because some people just want to sound smart. And I sound kind of dumb when I say words like that, so I don't like saying words like that very often. That's why I leave guys like Ryan to say the big words for me. Because let me, Ryan, just say it out loud for me. Can you say that one? You don't know? <laughs> wow! That, that made me feel so much better tonight. That's good. Because I've always had a hard time saying this one. So I went online. Do you know you can Google? How do you say? And so I literally, I wrote it down, down here. Pro-devangelium. And how the T becomes a D, I don't know. But basically it's the first announcement. Let's just call it that, okay? Let's just call it what it is. And so it is the first time. And real, think about this. You are three chapters into the Bible. You're barely into the fact where sin enters into the picture. And right away we see the fact, and go back to that verse on the screen for me, Joe, Genesis 3.15 we see the fact that the seed of a woman is going to bruise the serpent's head. The first time we see already a Savior is going to be coming from the very beginning. The second scripture that we see, letter B, we see it's the Emmanuel prophecy, which is Isaiah chapter 7 in verse number 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. What a name. The Bible says here that a virgin shall conceive. This verse very clearly declares the virgin birth. Does it, does it or does it not? I think it does right there. Thank you, Russ, for that. And so we see the first announcement in Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 7.14, letter C, we see the gospel accounts of the birth of Christ. Now, there are a lot of verses here, but these verses are important. And so I'm gonna, I want us to read through these verses so you can see some things as we look through it. Matthew 1, verse 16 through verse 25, it says, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary. You see that there in the notes? The husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, which is called Christ. Now, do you see anything? Does it say there that Joseph is the father of Jesus? No, it says that Joseph was the husband of Mary, and Mary was of whom Jesus was born. Do you see how that's worded? It's worded like that on purpose, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to his father Joseph. No. He was espoused to Joseph. Before they came 
together. Say, why is it important that we know that before they came together? Because of the virgin birth. And when it me and I'll make this very simple. When it's talking about before they coming together, they did a marital act together. Before they had a marital act together. I don't know why Joyce is laughing. I don't know what Russ just said. We'll just leave that alone and not go any further. So, and so Russ, behave yourself over there, please. Joyce is blushing a little bit over there, so behave yourself. And so, and I'm just going to keep on going. We need to keep on going there. Get off of that quick. And so, it says, so look back. at When as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of who? The Holy Ghost. Now you say, how does the Holy Ghost do this? He just does. He's God, right? Is the Holy Ghost God? That means he can do whatever he wants, right? Except lie. He can't lie. There might be a few other things that, like that that he can't do. He can't sin. But this is what the Bible says. When we keep on reading, it says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. You know, back in, back in the Bible days, it was um, not right to be pregnant before you were married. And it's still not right today, no matter what society tells you. It's still wrong and should not happen. And when you do something outside of marriage, it's called fornication, and God tells us to flee fornication. And when you do something with someone that you're not married to, it's called adultery in the Bible. It's adultery. And so just because our world accepts things today doesn't mean it's accepted in God's eyes still. We've kind of learned that, right? The world does things different than how God does things. So let's keep on reading here. And Joseph, he was a just man. Didn't want to make her a... She could have been put to death for this. Come on, think about it. And I'll be careful if I word all this, but you're engaged to someone, and she comes to you and says, I'm pregnant. And you know it wasn't you. The Holy Ghost did it! Yeah, that's a good one. Like, anyone's going to believe that. I'd be like, whatever, I don't believe you one bit. Just think on that for a minute. Isn't that, that's hard to believe. And so, look at what the Bible says. It says, but, and I love this verse, look at what it says here. But while he thought on these things, do you see how important it is not to rush to conclusions and not to rush to do something? Take your time to think it through before you act. Far too many of us today, we act on impulse right away. Hey, young people, this is for you as well. We act on impulse and we just do things right away. I want this, so I'm going to do it. Joseph took the time to think on it. Maybe he prayed to God, I don't know. But while he took the time to think on it, look at what it says there. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David... Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, 
that might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. You can see all through there from of whom was born Jesus, talking about Mary there. You can look at before they came together, conceived of the Holy Ghost in verse number 20, and Joseph knew her not. All of those things show us there in the book of Matthew that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. We could also look in Luke chapter number 1. And there are a lot of verses in Luke as well, and you got them there in your notes, and we're going to read those verses as well. The Bible says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee. Now, something that's interesting. So the sixth month, their calendar was April forward. So the sixth month would have been about October time. So it kind of would have been hard for Jesus to be born in December. Just a little thought, because if it was, the, it was the sixth month, it was about October. So it, but you say, I know there are people out there, when was Jesus born? This is the fact that we know. He was born. He came. That's what matters. If you want to go into all the other things and figure all that out, you'll probably never figure it out completely. And so, but just a little thought. So the sixth month would have been October. You could try to add the numbers up and come to a conclusion if you want of some, of some, uh, some time frame. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now I think it's very clear here as well. The word virgin is used several times. We see that she talks about different things, about how could this be, seeing I know not a man. We see the fact that she um, is told that the Holy Ghost will come upon her. It's right before our very eyes that Jesus was born of a virgin. And then there's one other passage that we could look at in letter D. We see the teachings of the Pauline epistles. And as we think on that, we see the Bible tells us in Galatians 4, verse number 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, look at what it says, made of a woman, made under the law. So we have between Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 7.14, Matthew chapter number 1, Luke chapter number 1, and Galatians 4, verse number 4, the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin right before our eyes. 
The Bible's clear on this. We're not taking one verse and making a doctrine out of one verse. There are many that back up the fact of how Jesus came. And so when we look and we talk about Jesus coming and what Jesus did, there are a lot of people that get this confused when Jesus came to earth. Like I've heard many people say, and this is, this is a tough one for me to swallow too, because I'll hear people, this is a tough one, they say, Jesus could have sinned when he was tempted. No, he couldn't. He's God. God cannot sin, and he doesn't tempt us with evil. So being God, he could not have sinned. And, but there are a lot of Christians that say he could have sinned. He could not have sinned. I'll leave it there. But I want you to look at, and we're going to break down number three tonight, Roman numeral number three, and where are we at on time? Oh, we're doing good. We're going to get through all of this. We'll be done in a few minutes. We see, um, we're going to explain the incarnation of Jesus Christ explained. If we talk about what the Bible says, what Jesus did when he came, I want you to look with me at Philippians chapter number 2 and verse number 5 through 8. The Bible tells us what Jesus did. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So if I were to break down, what did Jesus, if we were to break down and explain to you what Jesus did, and as we look at this, what this passage tells us is what exactly was involved in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And in the incarnation, him coming to earth, it was the voluntary act of the Son of God, whereon he placed himself under the bounds of humanity. It was a self-emptying, is how I would describe it. We see letter A, the fact that Christ was in the form of God. The word form, the word morph comes from this word. Here, and it does, you think about that, here it doesn't mean a shape or an object. It's an outward expression that stems from the innermost nature. We sometimes talk about the form of an athlete or the form of this, but Jesus Christ looked like God because he was God. He was in the form of God. Letter B, we see that Jesus was equal with God. It wasn't robbery. It wasn't a false claim for Jesus to claim equality with God. He can't steal it because he is equal with God. So we see the fact that he's in the form of God. He's equal with God. And verse 7 tells us here, the fact, letter C, that he emptied himself. He emptied himself. The Bible says, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So see, he basically, so the Bible tells us earlier in verse number six that he was in the form of God and he was equal with God. Then we see that he has no reputation. He puts on the form of a servant. And it, what does it say there? And he was made in the likeness of men. So what we see is that what this passage teaches us is that we can see that Christ emptied himself of everything but his essential glory. 
And so when we think about this, he laid aside certain rights that were his as eternal God. Like, as God, God doesn't die. He laid aside that so he could die for our sins. God doesn't need to eat food, but Jesus got hungry. He took upon, he was made in the likeness of men. So he emptied himself of a lot of things except his essential glory. He looked like a servant because he was a servant. Jesus Christ took off the robes of deity, not deity itself, but he put on the robes of flesh. He surrendered certain things to be like us. He allowed himself to do things that God should never have to do so that he could die for our sins. He emptied himself. Letter D, Christ humbled himself. Verse 8, where it says he was found in fashion as a man. The word fashion speaks of a visible expression or an external condition. He lowered himself. Is Jesus, is God not the master of all things? Is he sovereign? He's sovereign, right? He's over all things. Yet, he allowed death to be over him. And he submitted to death. He was obedient to the Father. Christ did these things for us. And when we think about all these different things, the fact is that Jesus Christ, there is no one that's ever been in this world like him, and there will never be anybody else like him ever. His birth was unique. His birth was different. And when we think about those things, one of the things that happens is, and Catholicism is big on this, and that's going to park here for a few minutes, and we'll be done tonight. But in Catholicism, Mary's very important. She, they, the Virgin Mary is very important. And what they believe about her and things, you've got to understand that they worship and exalt Mary in Catholicism. And this doctrine developed around the 5th century after Augustine. And Augustine did a lot of bad things for theology at the end of the day. But you've got to understand, it, she was exalted as the mother of God. Why was this developed? There's lots of reasons, and I don't have time to go through all of it. But you think about this. Some of the conclusions they came to was, doesn't the Bible say that Mary is the mother of Jesus Christ? Does the Bible say that? I'm not wrong in stating that, yes. Is Jesus God? Yes. Therefore, Mary, since she is Jesus' mother, then Mary is the mother of God. Now, does that sound wrong? Because we just said that she's the mother of Jesus, right? And we said the fact that Jesus is God, so that makes Mary the mother of God. That's what Catholicism says. And they say that since Mary is the mother, and I, 
just, I'm going with what they say right now. I do not believe that Mary is the mother of God, and I'm going to explain that to you in a minute. I'm just going down this road. So I see some of you shaking your head. I hope you're not agreeing that Mary is the mother of God, because she's not, because God doesn't have a mother. How can you have a mother when you always have been, and you have no beginning and no ending? God has no mother. I have a mother because I have a birth date. You all have mothers because you have a birth date. Jesus doesn't have a mother. She has, and we'll talk about these things in a second. But so the idea was Mary was the mother of Jesus. Jesus is God. So Mary is the mother of God. And since Mary's the mother of God, she has special motherly influence over her son. Therefore, if we really want something in Catholicism, we pray to her so she can go to Jesus and sway him to do what we're asking the Lord to do. Now, that sounds so crazy to me because the Bible is so against that. What this says is, in all reality, that Christ is not approachable. You need to go to Mary to get to Jesus because Jesus doesn't want to hear from you and he doesn't want to take care of you himself. You need to go to Mary and she will go before Jesus and help sway Jesus' mind into helping you. But there are many people that believe that. Now, as we think about that, there are many that would say, and you think about this, does the Bible teach us that Jesus is unapproachable? What did Jesus say? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Isn't that what he says? Didn't he come and receive sinners? Yeah, and in fact, the Pharisees and them got mad at that fact. He was a friend of publicans and sinners. And so when we look at this and people exalt Mary, I want to take a little bit of time and talk about number four tonight, Roman number four, the Virgin Mary and Mariolatry and the wrong of it. And so as we look at this and we think about this, I want you first of all to see, number or letter A, that Mary was not immaculate. That means sinless. There's this idea that Mary didn't sin, that she was immaculate, but that is not true. The only person to ever live on this earth and not sin was Jesus Christ. And well, you say, well, how do we know those things? Well, number one, we see that she needed a Savior. And just help you out, only sinners need a Savior, right? And the Bible tells us, this is what Mary said, Luke 1, 47, And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary said that right there. She needed to be saved. She needed a Savior just like everyone else. As we look at that number two, we see that she was not able to direct or influence her son. The Bible's clear about this. Remember the story about uh, wedding and the wine for the wedding? John chapter 2, verse 3. When they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. <laughs> Look at what Jesus says to his mother here. Jesus said to her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now, that's pretty a rough way to talk to your mom. 
You know, if I were to go up to my mom and say, woman, whew, even saying that right now and knowing that she might hear that I just was referring to that, it scares me inside. And I don't suggest my kids ever go up and say, woman, don't ever do that to your mother. Because not only will you have to deal with her, but you'll deal with me on that one. But you say, well, why, in the, why did Jesus do this? Don't you realize that from God, there's no mistakes with God. And I sincerely believe that this example was given right away at the beginning of Jesus' ministry so that those who would think that Mary had some influence to get Jesus to do things could see right away, no, he come to do the will of God. Mary has no in privilege with the Lord. She does not have a way to help, you know, to do these things. And she can't get us closer or we can't pray to her. She is, and as we look at it, we see this right here. And uh, we also could see the fact that she's not elevated above other believers. You even watch some of those movies that portray Jesus. And Mary's, they lift Mary way up. There's a lot of Catholicism in that. The Passion of Christ, that movie. Mel Gibson, a Catholic. And I, and this is the thing. I can take those movies and I watch them, and, and I'm, but there's a lot of bad doctrine there about Mary. And when we look at this, we see the fact that um, not only is she not, you say, well, she was, do you know the Bible says she was blessed among women? Letter C, or number three, she was blessed among women, not above women. Did you know that? The Bible says in Luke 1, 42, And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Now, interesting enough, did you know there's one woman in the Bible that was said to be blessed above women? Did you know that? Book of Judges. The lady's name is Jael. What did Jael do? Well, we'll talk about that in a second. So look at what the Bible says. Blessed above women shall jail the wife of Heber, the Kenite be. Blessed shall she be above women in the tent. The only time, so Mary was blessed among women. Jail was blessed above women. And what did Jail do? This is a good, well, this is a strong woman right here. And how she did this exactly, I don't understand, but this guy must have really been out. She literally drove a tent stake through the king's head. Sister, I believe, drove it right through his head. And she was blessed above women for doing this. And the name Jail, what a name too, right? Jail and a tent stake through the head. Watch out for women with the name Jail, okay? But the Bible says that she was blessed above women. Mary was never blessed above women, among women. But that's a common miss, um, something that we miss in the Bible. The other fact is, letter B, that Mary is not the mother of God. It is a man-made expression that Mary is the mother of God. She is called the mother of Jesus, right? Is that Bible? That's Bible. She is called the mother of Jesus. And you see in other places that she's referred to as his mother. 
but never is Mary called the mother of God. Because as I mentioned a few minutes ago, God has no mother. For Jesus to come to earth, he had to do it the way we all do it, right? So the earthly Jesus had a mother. And, you know, we could look at and we could talk for a long time. One of the problems that we have, too, is Catholicism builds Mary up to be beyond and sinless in this superstar of a woman. But then a lot of Christianity just downplays. But she was a very special lady. She was a, think about she was chosen by God to be the lady that brought Jesus into the world. She was clean, and she was willing to take the public humiliation. You know, like I said today, it's no big deal in our world's eyes to have children outside of marriage. It was a big deal, and you could die for it in those days. And she was willing, be it unto me according to, she was willing to do what God wanted her to do. And yes, she's not the mother of God, but she gave birth to Jesus. She held him as a baby. She cleaned his diapers. She watched him grow. See, she saw the people refuse him. She saw him hang on a cross. She saw him die. Be it unto me according to the, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Yeah, she is a great example of a servant of God. And though we don't exalt her to saint st- or sinless status and the mother of God, she was a very special lady that did a great that did that was willing to not do her will but follow the Lord's will and do what God wanted. And we could talk about Joseph as well. What man in those days would have had the attitude and been like Joseph? What a what what two God chose to use. It's, it's pretty, when you think on these things, there's a lot to it. We also could go into the fact that, um, you know, Mary had other children. And so, and those other children were not perfect. So if Mary was perfect, those other children would need to be perfect too. But doesn't that kind of make sense? But they're not in fact, they didn't want nothing to do with Jesus till after he died. And the book of Jude and the book of James are written by Jesus' half-brothers. They got turned around and they turned to Christ. And then also, if we look at why we don't believe in Mariolatry and things, letter C would be because Christ alone is our mediator and our advocate. The Bible makes this clear. 1 Timothy 2, verse number 5 for there is one God. Yes, there are three parts to God, but there's one God. And look what it says. And there's one mediator between God and men. Mary's not mentioned. The mediator between God and men is the man, Christ Jesus. He is the mediator. He is the in-between. No one else is. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Mary doesn't make intercession for you to God. 
Jesus Christ makes intercession for us. The Bible tells us in 1 John 2, verse number 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. It's not Mary. It's Jesus Christ the righteous. We see that Christ alone is our mediator and our advocate. And then lastly tonight, we see that Christ alone is our redeemer. The Bible says in John 14, verse number 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way. I, very clearly, does the Bible say that Jesus says, I'm a way? Or I'm a truth? Or I'm a life? No, he is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. And no man, no man, no woman, no one can come unto God but through Jesus Christ. That's why some people say, oh, you Christians, it's your way or there's no, it's not our way. He is the way. And why, why is your religion right and my religion's not right? Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. It's clear in the Bible, and that's just the way it is. And sorry if some people don't like that, but that's what the Bible says. And the Bible tells us in Acts 4, verse number 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So if you've been praying to Mary lately, thinking she can help you get to God, you're mistaken. Mary can't get you any closer to God. Jesus Christ is who you need. And so I hope tonight that some of the things that we talked about help you in these areas. Why did Jesus come? Well, there's plenty of reasons. We talked about it. Why, why, what did Jesus do when he came? He emptied himself. And then why do we believe in the virgin birth? Because without the virgin birth, we wouldn't have a sinless Savior. And then why do people get it wrong? Because they take the Bible and they take things that they want to hear. And yes, Mary is the mother of Jesus. And yes, Jesus is God. But that doesn't make her the mother of God. Because Jesus and him alone is who we go to. And so there's some helps on this stuff. Hope you save your notes. Keep them and study them. If you've got any questions more about this stuff, you can ask me later on.